Introduction Welcome to Kilcormack. Nestled between the Sleeve Bloom Mountains and the waters of the Silver River, Kilcormack is a place of stories. This audio guide will introduce you to the history and heritage of the town, and we'll meet members of the community who have made this charming place their home. This is a truly ancient landscape, and on our journey we will hear of the area during the unimaginably distant past, when people camped nearby around 9,000 years ago at the edge of a great lake. These people were hunter-gatherers known as Mesolithic people, and they provide the earliest evidence of human activity in this region. Over 3,000 years ago, during the Bronze Age, the landscape at Derenboi, just to the south of Kilcormac, was considered important and perhaps even sacred. A hoard of gold objects was discovered here, including a necklace delicately made of gold wire wrapped around leather, finger rings and two beautifully decorated gold armlets. During our trip into the past, we will also hear of the ancient kingdom of Firkel, of which Kilcormac was once part, and the local clans and chieftains who ruled over that kingdom. We will hear of a holy man who came here over 1,500 years ago in search of a peaceful place where he could devote himself to God and whose church and teachings attracted people from across the surrounding landscape. This holy man, Saint Cormac, would go on to lend his name to the town as the name Kilcormac literally translates to the Church of Cormac. Our audio guide will take us on a journey through the Middle Ages, the establishment of a Carmelite monastery in the 16th century, the town's thriving milling industries of the 18th and 19th centuries, and through the resurgence of the town once again due to the peat harvesting activities of the 20th century. As we explore the rich stories associated with this place, an enduring feature is the powerful sense of community that emerges down through the ages, along with a deep connection to the surrounding landscape in all its diversity. Throughout the guide, you will hear local people narrating stories from the past. This is Sylvia Sweeney, welcoming you to Kilcormac. We're located in the centre of Ireland on the N52 between Tullamore and Burr, and with the majestic Lockborough Discovery Park only three kilometres down the road, and the powerful Sleepbloom Mountains about six kilometres on our other side, we are ideally located to discover all the Midlands has to offer. We're a community of about 800 to 1,000 people, which we believe has a fantastic community spirit and a vision and passion for our small town. You'll be brought on a tour which we hope gives you a real feel for what Kilcormac has to offer in history, heritage, culture and stories. When you are ready, let's begin our journey. Loch Bora 
Here is Tom Egan talking about Loch Bora. Tom Egan, born the Mona. Uh, I would have come to this area in 1980, employed by Bordnamona, to look at finding uses for what was termed the cutaway bogs. So when I, when I came to Bora first, I met the, the manager or whatever, and I was, I was brought out on a tour. We came up with a grandiose sort of a, a plan, an integrated land use plan, which would incorporate the agriculture and forestry, but would also take in amenity, would take in wildlife, biodiversity, the archaeology and the history of the site, including the Lachbora Mesolithic site, which has a huge significance. Around 12,000 years ago, the last of the great glaciers of the Ice Age gradually melted away to finally uncover the land that they had blanketed in ice for millennia. In the Midlands of Ireland, lakes began to form in the low-lying hollows. Evidence of the earliest human activity in this region dates to approximately 9,000 years ago, during the Mesolithic period. This evidence was discovered by a Kokomak native, Joe Craven. While taking a walk on his lunch break from harvesting peat for Bordnamona at nearby Loch Bora, he noticed a large amount of unusually shaped stone and a trackway. Believing it to be the remains of a prehistoric trackway, the National Museum of Ireland were notified and they sent a team of archaeologists to investigate. What was discovered was a truly fascinating site, containing over 1,500 artefacts. Although no structures were found, several hearts containing a range of animal and fish bones were discovered, along with carefully crafted stone tools such as axe heads and blades made from a flint-like black stone called chert. The people who left these items most likely found their way here by boat. Ireland was densely forested at this time and river navigation was the easiest way of searching out wild boar, game and fish in the nearby lakes, as well as seasonal fruits, nuts and berries. We know from the evidence at other locations that these first people lived in light timber structures covered with animal hide. They were a nomadic people and moved from site to site depending on the seasons. As there was no evidence of structures at the site at Loch Bora, it is suggested that it was likely to have been a seasonal hunting camp rather than a permanent settlement. Prior to these discoveries at Loch Bora, it was thought that the first human settlements in Ireland were dotted around the north and west coasts only, and that the Midlands remained uninhabited. These discoveries, however, pushed the accepted date for the inhabitation of the Midlands back by over 3,000 years. The nomadic way of life these Mesolithic people enjoyed was slowly disrupted when agriculture arrived in Ireland around 6,000 years ago. People began to farm the land and put down roots by building permanent homes and settlements. Over the following millennia, into the early medieval period, a hierarchy or clanship emerged through which the land and its people would eventually be governed. Based on familial ties, these clans trace their origins to larger population groupings. The larger or more important clans were led by a Taoiseach, or chief, who had the status of royalty. Some would go on to achieve the rank of High King. 
During this period, Kilcormac was located in the territory of Ferkel, from the Irish Fiercaela, meaning men of the churches, perhaps due to the high concentration of holy men who emerged from the area, of which Cormac was one. With the O'Molloy family as its chieftains, the territory extended for some 25 miles in length by five miles in width in the most southwesterly part of the ancient kingdom of Meath. When the plantations of Ireland were carried out by the English in the 16th and 17th centuries, Ferkel was broken up into baronies, which were located in the newly formed King's County. Following the attainment of Irish independence in 1922, the new government renamed the county Offaly, after the ancient Gaelic kingdom of Ifolia. The bog continued to provide shelter and sustenance to the people of this area down through the millennia, and by the late 20th century, Bora was supplying over one million tonnes of peat every year, helping to power Ireland's industries and homes. More recently, however, this bog has been transformed by Bordnamona into a wonderful sanctuary for wildlife and an amenity for the community. With over 50 kilometres of cycle and walking routes which allow visitors to absorb the unique atmosphere of this special place. We began to realise like, that the area had major significance for wildlife, like we're seeing, we're seeing everything returning, like the, even the red squirrel, you know. And probably the most famous bird in the parklands we have is the grey partridge. Uh, we didn't realise the significance of them, but they were actually the last wild, nearly the last wild indigenous population of grey partridge in Ireland had survived, and primarily they had survived along the railway lines. Loch Bora is also home to some of the most innovative land and environmental sculptures in Ireland. Artists from all over the world, inspired by the rich natural and industrial legacy of the boglands, have created a series of large-scale sculptures which blend seamlessly into the surrounding landscape. St Cormac Here is Tom Daly talking about the history of Kilcormac. We feel we're fortunate in Kilcormac that we have lots of stories that can be told. A broad sweep would take us from earliest times, things like the Mesolithic Bronze Age, um, ring forts around here and so on. The Middle Ages was all about uh, the church and the church influence and we have our story of St Cormac and how a man from Cork who was seafaring and fond of voyages on the sea ends up in the middle of the country with no sea anywhere near him. Um, and then we come on, I suppose, to the, from the Middle Ages onwards, I suppose the Anglicisation of Ireland and the plantations and how they impacted on Kilcormac, where we have a town which takes its name from St Cormac back in the 6th century to changing its name to Frankfurt, which reflected the influence of some of the local landowner families here. Then how, after that, it reverted to Kilcormach again. Cormach O'Lehan 
was part of a growing band of religious men in early medieval Ireland during the 5th and 6th centuries, who were responsible for establishing religious centres throughout the length and breadth of the country. These men were devout and scholarly, and became missionaries spreading the word of God throughout Ireland, Britain and Europe. It is from this golden era of religious devotion that Ireland earned the title of the Land of Saints and Scholars. Cormac began his religious training under one of Ireland's patron saints, Saint Colum Kill, at the nearby monastery at Durrow. Cormac would later become abbot of the monastery, and the symbol of his authority, the wonderful Durrow Crozier, is currently on view at the National Museum of Ireland on Kildare Street in Dublin. Colm Kill had established an abbey on Iona Island, which became the most influential centre for the spread of Christianity in Scotland. A fearless mariner, Cormac soon joined Colm Kill on his travels throughout Scotland's islands, spreading the word of God and earning the name Cormac of the Sea. It is said that Cormac set up more churches in Scotland than he had joints in his body. However, Cormac longed for a quiet life where he could devote himself entirely to God and decided to return to Ireland to establish his own church. He sought a place where the sound of a river would lull him to sleep, where he could commune with nature and have a beautiful vista towards the south. When Cormac reached Kilcormac, he knew he had found such a spot. The locals felled trees to help Cormac build his first church, and he then set about constructing a stone tower 25 feet in height, in which he could pray and meditate. Soon, people began to travel through the forest from neighbouring settlements, rats and ring forts, to hear Cormac's mass on Sundays and holy days. There are five wells dedicated to St. Cormac in the surrounding landscape. It is said that he visited these wells, baptising the faithful in the naturally occurring springs and tending to their needs in times of trouble. As with holy wells throughout Ireland, local folklore holds that they have healing powers. Traditionally, people with various ailments would visit the wells and rub their afflicted area with a cloth soaked in its water. They would then tie the rag to a nearby tree in the hope that the saint would answer their prayers and heal them. According to local legend, Cormac was killed in nearby Eglish by two wolves, a death which had been prophesied by St. Colman many years previously. A window in Eglish church depicts the bloody event. Unfortunately, no trace of Cormac's original monastery or its fabled tower exists today. However, Cormac's legacy lives on through local stories and in the name of the place that he established over 1,500 years ago. St. Joseph's Community Centre. 
The spirit of cooperation, which has brought communities together in Kokomak down through the generations, was alive and well during the early 1980s, when the need for a focal point in the village was identified. Kokomak Development Association was established, and community members were encouraged to become involved in a voluntary capacity. The association acts as an umbrella organisation which develops and enhances the social, recreational and economic facilities in the village and surrounding areas. In 1988, the association purchased an acre of land with an 18th century house on its grounds. Previously, the house was owned by the Sisters of Mercy and was run as a laundry for a time around the turn of the 19th century. In an idyllic location beside the Silver River, a short walk brings you to the ruin of Park Mill, a water-powered flour mill which also dates from around 1840, but was converted to a corn store in 1900. State support for the employment at the centre has ensured the completion of a number of successful projects in Kilcormack. The area to the front of the house was developed into an attractive town park and children's playground some years ago. The GAA is another organisation which plays a central role in the community life in Kilcormack. Established in 1986, the Kilcormack Kalahi GAA Club is one of over 2,000 local clubs around Ireland which promote indigenous Gaelic games and pastimes such as hurling, camogie and Gaelic football. The club operates from a state-of-the-art clubhouse and has developed well-maintained playing pitches not far from St. Joseph's Community Centre and the club has enjoyed success at both junior and senior levels. Ecclesiastical Buildings of Kilcormack Together with the neighbouring Mercy Convent, the Church of the Nativity sits in the ecclesiastical heart of Kilcormack, where sacred buildings have been constructed since the time of St. Cormac, 1,500 years ago. A Carmelite monastery was established here by Odo Omoloi, son of the region's chieftain, in 1406. The monastery's missal from 1458, which contains the instructions and texts necessary to say Mass, still exists in Trinity College Library today. Entries in the missal attest to the close relationship between the monastery and their benefactors, the Omoloys, many of whom were buried in important locations within the monastery's church. The missal is one of only a few relics from pre-Reformation Ireland that exists today and the only extant Carmelite missal from all of Ireland and Britain. Evidence of the monastery can still be found in the northern boundary wall of the existing church today in the form of a crucifixion figure surrounded by a vine-leaf motif. Small stone fonts from the 17th century Ballyboy Church can also be found embedded in the wall. The current church is an imposing building dating from 1867. The decorative stonework and fine stained glass windows attest to the skills of the craftsmen employed during its construction. But perhaps the most special artefact to be found at the church is the wonderful Pieta, which is over 500 years old. 
Amazingly, it survived the ravages of Cromwell's troops in 1650. The Pieta is a statue of Our Lady holding her son's body after he had been taken down from the cross. The scene was a very popular subject for European sculptors during the Middle Ages, the most famous of which is Michelangelo's stunning marble version currently located in St. Peter's Basilica, Rome. The Kilcormac Pieta is carved from a block of solid oak, measuring five foot by three, and is believed to be the only one of its kind in Ireland. It is thought that the Pieta is of Spanish origin and came to Kilcormac through a member of the Magali family at some time during the 16th century. It was placed in the parish church, at that time in Ballyboy, about one mile from Kilcormac. There it remained until 1650, when Oliver Cromwell's army was reported approaching from the direction of Cadamstown. Fearing for their lives, the villagers were gathering up their possessions and preparing to flee to the safety of the mountains when two women thought of the Pieta. They rushed to the church, took it outside and buried it in a heap of rubbish. Later, under the cover of darkness, several men brought it out and reburied it in the bog, where it was to lie for over 60 years. According to local legend, at some point around 1700, only one man remained alive who knew where the Pieta was buried, and he was carried there on his deathbed to that very spot. The carving, still in perfect condition, was carefully recovered and placed in the recently built church. The Pieta was nearly lost to the parish again some years later, when a parish priest who was moving to Boris Cain decided to take it with them. However, the parishioners retrieved the Pieta, which remains in the church of Kokomak to this day. Not far from the Church of the Nativity and facing onto Main Street sits the attractive Mercy Convent. This once busy building played a significant social and educational role in Kilcormac since it was founded in 1885. The convent's construction was funded mainly through the generosity of the local Scully family, who contributed the enormous sum of £1,300, with an equal amount being donated by the local townspeople. This well-designed building displays some fine craftsmanship, such as the highly decorative carved limestone entrance with stained glass window. The convent also includes a walled orchard and ornamental garden to the rear. By 1895, there were 200 pupils enrolled in the school, and with the increasing educational requirements of Kokomak's junior and secondary students, the school continued to grow and develop throughout the 20th century. A new school was built nearby in 1965, and the nuns continued to teach there for another 30 years or so. The nuns resided at the convent here until 2018. The Silver River The Silver River provides a wonderful and picturesque amenity for Kilcormac and the surrounding areas. 
Flowing from its source in the Sleeve Bloom Mountains, situated to the southeast of Kokomak, the first settlement the river meets is Cadamstown. Here, the Silver River Geological Reserve and the spectacular Eco Walk can be found, which winds through a wonderful circuit of valley, moor, mountainside, and creature forestry. The walk starts along the Slidola, or Way of the Messenger. Local tradition holds that this was the route that clan leaders took on their way to meetings at the Hill of Tara, seat of the High Kings of Ireland, in ancient times. Included in the Sleeve Bloom Walking Festival, the walk follows the course of the river through ever-changing scenery of rushing waterfalls, deep gorges, trickling streams and dramatic geological formations. The red sandstone of the riverbed lies exposed here and there in great cliffs and steps of variegated rock. The walk continues down old sunken pathways, by cottage ruins, the River Weir and by St. Luna's Well, and the ruin of his monastery. Another local saint, folklore suggests that St. Luna was a great source of inspiration to St. Patrick, who passed through the area converting pagans to Christianity in the 6th century. The river then cuts through a great esker or ridge of rubble which was deposited here by a melting glacier at the end of the Ice Age. As part of a larger esker system which runs east to west across County Offaly, this 45-kilometre long glacial deposit of sand and gravel provides valuable information on the movement of ice during the final phase of deglaciation around 10,000 years ago. Along the route you may encounter the wealth of wildlife that lives along the river's lush banks. Otters, pine martens, and if you were lucky, the beautiful blue plumage of the kingfisher as he furtively scans the river for small fish and insects.
Main Street and the Village Square. Now known as Kilcormack, the village experienced a name change over the centuries. At some point during the early to mid-18th century, the name was changed to Frankfurt. Two accounts for this change are given in local history books. In one, the name change was due to the return of a Frank Magali from Frankfurt, Germany, in the early 1700s. He owned much of the land in the area and was therefore in a position to change the town's name. The other account holds that the name was changed by a James Frank, who established a charter school in the village in 1753. Whatever the reason for the original name change, the change back to Kilcormack again took place in 1903 during a period of Gaelic cultural revival in Ireland. A motion was unanimously passed by the County Council to reinstate the name Kilcormack, and great celebration was held with music, singing, dancing, drama, poetry, and a recounting of Kilcormack's history down through the ages. Kilcormack continued to grow in importance throughout the 18th and 19th centuries as the neighbouring town of Ballyboy went into decline and Kilcormack found itself on the main route between Burr and Tullamore. From the mid-18th century, milling began to play an important role in the local economy. Flour and corn mills, along with distilleries and breweries, sprang up around the town. P.H. Egan's was a well-known Midlands firm of whiskey, wine and beer producers who developed a 70-year relationship with Guinness as suppliers of malted barley and bottlers of Guinness's porter. Their firm, established in 1852, had a great deal of influence on the growth of Midland settlements, including Kilcormack, where they had a corn mill. P.H. Egan's, which was situated on the main street, was still trading up until the latter half of the 20th century. T.E. Williams was another well-known Midlands firm that operated a pub, grocery and agricultural shop, distillery and maltings here in Kilcormack. The company was established in Tullamore. Indeed, the famous whisky brand Tullamore Dew is named after Daniel E. Williams, who set up the business. By the early 1900s, they had more than 20 shops, a wholesale, malting, wine and spirit business. D.E. Williams operated Kilcormack Maltings, which is situated to the north of the town. Built in 1840, it operated first as a distillery and then as a maltings right up to the 1970s. A protected structure, it still retains its interior pulley workings, malting floors, double kiln and terracotta kiln tiles and is the only unaltered malt house in the county to survive in its intact state. Another protected structure that dates from this period is the Garda Station, located on Main Street. Originally built in 1800 as a petty sessions or courthouse, dealing with minor infringements of the law such as theft, assault and drunkenness. The Royal Irish Constabulary, also known as the RIC, who were the police force in Ireland prior to independence, were housed further down the street in a building which is now a private residence. By 1837, Kilcormack was described as a market and post town containing 204 houses and 1,112 inhabitants. 
Thriving weekly corn markets were held at the village square at the top of Main Street, along with spring and autumn fairs. People from the surrounding countryside would travel long distances to bring their livestock and produce into the village to be sold and to purchase their own supplies. The square and surrounding streets would be heaving with activity, with people haggling over the price of cattle, horses, fresh fruit, vegetables and turf cut freshly from the surrounding bogland. On the village square at the top of Main Street, Kokomak's Art Deco-style Fiesta Ballroom was built in the 1960s. Between 1955 and 1985, Ireland enjoyed a golden age of dancing, when halls sprang up in every town around the country to accommodate the younger generation's appetite for the American trend. The ballroom is still used today for occasional events, Several beautifully illustrated map boards here depict the wealth of looped walks in the area, taking in the beautiful Silver River and the wonderful surrounding landscape. St. Cormac's Park In the decades following the Great Famine of the 1840s, a number of factors contributed to the serious decline of the milling industry in Ireland. The repeal of the Corn Laws meant that cheaper cereals could now be imported, particularly wheat and maize from North America. This imported grain could now be milled by highly efficient steam-powered roller mills in ports such as Dublin, Waterford, Cork and Limerick, and easily distributed throughout the country on the rapidly expanding rail network. Fortunately, the surrounding bogland of Kilcormac began to provide a source of local employment, and activity from the early 1950s, when the recently formed Bordnamona started to harvest peat there. Bordnamona mechanised peat harvesting in the middle of the 20th century, and at its peak, Bora supplied over one million tonnes of peat every year, helping power Ireland's industries and homes. The promise of employment drew workers and their families from all over the region, and soon additional housing was required for the new employees. One of the most esteemed town planners of the time, Frank Gibney, was employed by Bordnemona to design a new housing estate which was named Park Nave Cormac, or St Cormac's Park. Gibney had a very distinctive style of civil design, deriving from the Beaux-Arts tradition, which drew upon the principles of classicism and referenced Gothic and Renaissance elements, but with the use of modern materials. Gibney developed a number of these housing estates around the Midlands for Bordnemona employees. His designs were notable for their curved terraces of houses enclosing generous green amenity spaces, which were cut through with radiating arterial roads and feature houses. 104 units were built on three acres to the south of Kilcormac, all of which included modern conveniences not yet available in local authority housing, such as turf-fired boiler cookers, hot running water, indoor toilets and baths, and a fuel store. 
The estate continues to be maintained to a high degree by the residents today. The development of the new community of Bordnemona workers in Park Nave Cormac gave Kilcormac a new lease of life as new buildings and businesses began to spring up around the town to accommodate the renewed activity. Here are some local residents discussing life in St Cormac's Park. My name is Seamus Barron. I'm a farmer employee of Bordemona. I came to live in Kilcormac in 1970. Where I lived before I came was in nearly in the middle of a forest, but to move from that to a house, to 104 houses, was a bit of a culture shock. Um, I remember uh, when I got married, I let myself move into the house. I couldn't believe that there was uh, so many neighbours. I come from coming from no neighbours, now I had over 100 neighbours. And the design of the house was such that everybody, you could see everybody at this front door. Like, it was a fantastic development, like with the big green areas. But it gave you a sense of community straight away. It wasn't just the, the Frank Gibney that designed them. He didn't design the houses yet, he designed a new community. And you, you got that sense of straight away that you were, you were unique, you were, you, were, you were something, there was something happening here that you didn't realise. It was actually a new community being rebuilt. My name is Sean Craven. I've lived most of my life in Kilcormac. Around that time, uh, Bordemona were beginning to develop the St Cormac's Park of 104 houses. My parents could see the opportunity of a, a business and on the morning I was born, or the day I was born, uh, my parents opened a, a shop, a grocery shop, right beside uh, St Cormac's Park. Now it wasn't, from a business point of view, it wasn't anything new. My father already had a butcher's shop in town. My mother Bin was also teaching at the time, but uh, she felt this was a good opportunity. For the following uh, 40 years or more then, the shop would have serviced a lot of the houses in, in the St Cormac's Park. It would have been right on the edge, so we were the first port of call. And I still hear uh, people remembering the time of going into Craven Shop. Hopefully, I'd be able to carry that on here and make sure that uh, our community survives into the future, whatever. So. Conclusion. Thank you for joining us on this journey through the fascinating heritage of Kilcormac, County Offaly. We hope you have enjoyed this audio guide. This guide was produced by Abarta Heritage in conjunction with Kilcormac Development Association. We would like to thank the members of the local historical society for their help and contributions to this guide. We would also like to thank the local residents who allowed us to record their stories. For further details and information about the history of Kilcormac, please visit kilcormac.com. To hear other audio guides relating to Ireland's fascinating heritage, please visit abartaheritage.ie.